The Guardian. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes creating a professional website for your business, personal brand or portfolio so easy it's newsworthy. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off. Hello and welcome to Media Talk. Today, I'm just back from yet another select committee where the BBC told MPs how it's taking steps to implement the full findings of the digital media. Are you alright, John? Yeah, I'm okay, Matt. It just feels like we should maybe do something a bit different this week. Not every week. That'd be crazy. Just this week. It's time we took a seat on the sofa, pulled up a cold one, and joined Rebecca Nicholson in her TV lair. Okay, then. Today on a Media Talk TV Lair special, The Guardian's TV and radio editor Rebecca Nicholson looks back at the week in telly, including the return of BBC Two's Line of Duty, Salamander, the new foreign drama on the BBC Four Saturday night slot, and Danny Boyle's Babylon comes to Channel Four. Plus, we look forward to HBO's True Detectives, it really is the best thing on American telly since the last thing, and My Mad Fat Diary, which comes back for a second series on E4. And we talk to Emily Mortimer about her new sky-living comedy, Doll and M. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. So, Rebecca, I think before we look forward, uh, it seems entirely appropriate we should look back. Yes. Uh, the last, uh, not the entirety of the last seven days TV, because there's a lot of channels. There's a uh, lot of channels and a lot of TV. Although yeah. I feel slightly like I've watched almost all of it this week. I've watched a lot of TV. You have that look about you. I don't mean that in a bad way. No, it's slightly like I've seen too much. You keep pointing a remote <laughs> at me. Trying to find something more interesting. <laughs> but this is it. This is like the old days. You're looking at the light program. Very light program. Anyway, right. So... <laughs> Give us a taster. Well, should we start with um, uh, the big return in drama? Line of Duty. You got it. I had never seen Line of Duty until uh, this week. And I thought, I'm going to make an effort to watch this. Everyone says it's really good. It's so good. I was really taken aback by how brilliant it was. Jed Mercurio. So you would expect good things. Whoa, I don't know what the first series was like. It makes me want to go back and watch like, it. Whoa, that's, yeah, should we just leave it at that? It was... <laughs> well, I saw the first series, but didn't see the start of the second. It had a really fantastic shock ending, which just... I was actually screaming at the TV. It was so great. It was really nicely done. All the performances were good. Um, it's a good kind of tangled mystery to unpick as the weeks progress. And I'm into it. I'm hooked. I'm going to be watching that every week. The first one was all that kind of police corruption, and there was a lot of Lenny James who didn't come back. I believe uh, there was. For reasons yeah. uh, viewers of the first series will know. For reasons that somebody in the office told me this morning, spoiling the fact that I had just said I would like to watch series one. <laughs> but is there more internal investigation? And Keely Hawes is yeah. in it. That's, that's, that's the length of my knowledge. Was Keely Hawes in the first series? She wasn't, no. Ah, and she's very good in this. Because she kind of does light roles, doesn't she, really? But when she's been doing darker stuff, she was in the tunnel doing a darker role and in this it's a very very dark role really suits her I think she should do more bleak stuff and less kind of boots adverts so um, what's going on what's it about so it's very complicated I still don't really know what's going on I regret the question already (laughs) so it's about police corruption Uh, and Keely Hawes is called to a job in which several police officers get killed and she turns up unarmed and without backup 
you're never sure if she's a victim or if she's actually part of a conspiracy. And then internal affairs start to investigate her and you think she's a good one and then you think she's a wrong one and who knows. It was and interesting, uh, you know, yeah. this uh, ratings-wise, you know, the last one kind of ended three and a half million. And this time around you think, oh, the excitement, all the hype, everyone watched it last time, uh, 1.8. But last night was such a good night for telly. So at the same time, it was Midsummer Murders. Um, not that I'm a huge fan of Midsummer Murders, but it was the 100th episode and that went all Scandi. And I think they went to Copenhagen, didn't they? I didn't see it because I was watching Line of Duty. They did have the stars of Borgen and the killing, or they didn't recognise whoever it was at the killing. So <laughs> I don't think it was... It wasn't there in the jumper. And then they had 24 Hours in A&E on Channel 4, which I Flick. love. Always. Oh, no, I love it. I'm sort of guaranteed to cry around the 45-minute mark. Every really? week. Every week. And then... Because um, there's another advert. advert <laughs> <laughs> and then Fleming, of course, was on Sky Atlantic, which is the... Uh, the drama about Ian Fleming, creator of Bond. I'm not obsessed by stats, but yeah, that only got 105,000 viewers, yeah, which really? I know it's Sky Atlantic, but it's, that's not even, you know, that's, that's down on Sky Atlantic's average. Is it really? I wonder why, because it looked great. It was a kind of big, fun, glossy show. And there was a lot of, a lot of press around it as well, and a lot of source. <laughs> oh, press source. as well. But it was a really good night, so I think maybe that might be why. I hope Line of Duty picks up. That ending was phenomenal. Well, we won't spoil it in case anyone's about to watch it on some kind of catch-up service that everyone can access for yes. free. Uh, okay, well, next up, uh, I think we should talk about, because we're talking about BBC dramas, and because of uh, it's Salamander. Yeah. This is the new Saturday night subtitled uh, drama in the slot previously occupied by Borg and the Killing, the Bridge, and other stuff. That's the one. Uh, but to me, it felt like, it, didn't, it wasn't quite like the bridge. It reminded me more of a, a subtitled episode of The Professionals <laughs> from, from 1982. It felt, it felt very dated, didn't it? I thought the, the main concept for it was very good that um there's a big he- it opens with a big heist and they rob a bank but what they're actually robbing is the security boxes and within these security boxes are the secrets of the kind of rich and famous and secrets from history and secrets that can bring down the government that i really enjoyed i thought that was a really good kind of starting premise for a series but i just thought the rest of it looked just so dated and kind of old-fashioned and the look of it was weird it looked a bit like a kind of bbc afternoon weekday drama it didn't look very I don't know and I wasn't taken with the lead either because he reminded me a bit of a sort of low rent version of Martin from the bridge and I'm still a bit (laughs) sad about that (laughs) not sexy frankly it's too soon Uh, yeah, it did. Have, maybe with due respect to Flemish listeners, I know we got a big, uh, big following. But you know, maybe that's just what Belgium looks like. So let's not be too tough on the producers. But uh, yeah. you know, it didn't have the scenery. It didn't have an enormous bridge. It didn't have you know. It, it wasn't just, even um, moody enough. But then yeah. I think maybe it's our fault for coming at it and expecting something like the Scandinavian shows because it really isn't like that at all. It's just subtitled. It it's done even, very well though, hasn't it? Well, I, I'm not obsessed. I'm not obsessed <laughs> with statistics. A phrase I might use again, but yeah, but it got one best part of 1.1 million, which is up there with the bridge, and certainly more than used to watch Borgen. Yeah. Uh, so we wait and see if they stick around for um, you know weekend two. I know I will be. Well, it's quite watchable, isn't it? But no, just, it's uh, awful. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be generous. Get off the fence. Get yeah, off the bridge. Fine. fine. Uh, well, that's Salamander on BBC Four Saturday nights. Yes, catch it when you can. Uh, okay, next up, one, well, one more thing to look back on, and I think we got some. This is the first of our uh, star contributors coming up here. Is uh, Babylon, which was the uh, Channel Four uh, comedy drama, I guess you call it. It was uh, uh, very in the middle of comedy and drama. Directed by Danny Boyle and written by uh, Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain, or is it Sam Armstrong? No, it's definitely Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain. And they were at a BAFTA do recently with their producer Robert Jones in this short clip. We hear what attracted them all to the project. I think we were excited to see, you know, reading those biographies of top police and commissioners. It's a, it's a like on top of all organisations, big organisations. It's a very political world, and that was fascinating. 
And then obviously it's been in the news, the, the communications responsibilities yeah. and um, interface of the Met, and that just felt like, wow, I've not seen that done before, but it's a huge part of how they work and how they can have to communicate with uh, the press and the public. Um, I hate to use the C word, controversy, Robert, but I'm going to. Do you think it's... Po- I mean, are you... Do you think... At least you use that C word. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, oh, yeah that, that C word. I, I was sitting there thinking, I may, so you could see some people, some elements of the press saying, oh, this is, you know, critical of the police, or at least taking a certain view of the police. Are you, are you prepared for that? Do you think it might end up being discussed in that way? I don't think you can kind of prejudge what people are going to think about it or write about it. People's reaction to anything is, is a very personal one, and I don't think it's pro-police or anti-police. I think it's portraying a bunch of uh, great, interesting characters who are essentially trying to do an impossible job in a very absurd world. And, and if you think about it, it, I don't even necessarily agree it's satirical. I think that what it does, it points out the absurdity of, mm. of real-life situations. There are very few situations that are 100% serious or 100% funny and, and, and in an institution or corporation like the, the police, there are a huge number of things where you just can only scratch your head really and go, how, how can that happen? And it yeah. does, but it happens in real life all the time. And I don't, I don't think there's been, certainly in our conversations, any attempt to try and lambast or, or portray in a, in a bad light. It's a, it's a fictional police force, it's fictional characters, and hopefully they light up the screen both in the writing and performance. That was Robert Jones talking to TV's Boyd Hilton and you can catch the full interview at bafta.org slash guru. Now Rebecca I didn't see Babylon, my dad did and he said to me son the language was awful <laughs> speaks like that and he said and son the police are not going to like that was he right on either or both counts? Um, uh, the language wasn't that bad, I thought. It He's was, easily offended. Uh, it, he turned off Glengarry Glen Ross, my dad did. There was a very funny scene, one of the funniest scenes, I thought, where they were discussing what the word scrote meant with an American. And she asked if there were racial connotations. That could have been <laughs> when my dad turned off. <laughs> so that might have, might have been the point at which he turned off. Was it any good, though? I really enjoyed it, but I do feel like I spent the week defending it to people it seems to have had a very mixed response the common thread i found with people who didn't like it is that they turned it off after half an hour it's trying to do so much it's very ambitious and it's lots of different things you know there's a tv show within a tv show and it's about the police but it's about pr and it's about politics and it's a drama and it's a comedy there's a lot going on and i felt like it needed at least the first half an hour or so to find its feet i really enjoyed it i thought it was really tightly written the lines really made me laugh. I was involved in the action of it. I thought it was really good. I was at that Q&A and I felt like they were all kind of denying that it was satire or critical of the police. And actually, I think it is quite critical of the police. But I thought that was a slightly strange thing that they were kind of trying to say, oh, no, it's not really. We do quite like the police. It's not a vicious satire. It's not completely scathing. They're all quite human. But I think if there's anything I'd like to see for the full series, which is going ahead later this year, is that it's maybe a little bit sharper because it can be. In the end, I found it quite a depressing programme because ultimately you just sort of feel like it's all futile and they can't do anything to fix it and it's all broken and what's the point? Whereas I'd quite like to see some real kind of biting satire, which it can, I think it can do. And Jimmy Nesbitt's in it. He's, 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 he's lost, lost weight and gained it. hair. He's really great in it. I think he's really good. I, I've not... I enjoyed him in anything so much in years. I thought he was really brilliant. And Britt Marling, of course, who's in Another Earth. I called it Another World in my review and I got into trouble. Another Earth. She's very good too, as the kind of American PR lady who's trying to deal with 
all of the British stuff like the word scroat. Jolly good. <laughs> what do you, you said it was a bit depressing. And I'll tell you what, I was depressed this week. Because Go on. I, I finally got to the end of the Netflix series you've been recommending to me since uh, since it was first on Netflix. Orange is the New Black. What a finish. Podcast from 2013. That's it, yeah. Podcast gold. <laughs> But what a finish. I mean, what a brilliant series. I, I mean, know. better than The House of... I'm going to put... Now, you know, I know Kevin Spacey listens, but sorry, Kevin, cover your ears up. <laughs> Get off the jogging machine and take, take the earphones out for one second. But it's better than uh, House of Cards, Do you I think? think. Yeah. I loved it. It's another one, though, that split people. And I felt like I went around defending it a lot last year when everyone watched it, <laughs> Yeah, John. all right, all right. Well, it's Netflix, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I loved it. I'm really excited about the second series. I thought that ended, talking of shock endings, like what Line of Duty did. I thought that was a very good shock ending as well. Because it sort of, I thought felt like the series got progressively darker as it went along. And that last episode was really bleak. Oh, yeah, no spoilers. Cause, no uh, spoilers, you know, but... Might be people who watch it even after I did, but uh, yeah. The binge-watching problem. And brilliant, and largely, certainly uh, to me, apart from the chat from American Pie, uh, t- uh, totally unknown cast, I but all brilliant. to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps I should watch more TV, is that what you're <laughs> suggesting? Well, that's enough looking back. Uh, after this, looking forward. The media landscape is shifting, but what changes matter most in 2014? Disruptive technologies. E-commerce. Mobile opportunities. Big data and the web. Personalisation and diversification. The rise and rise of branded content. We're exploring all these topics and more at the Guardian Changing Media Summit. Mixed with hundreds of top media professionals. Tap into the latest trends and thinking and hear from top companies including Airbnb, LinkedIn, BuzzFeed and B-Sky-B. Big issues. Big ideas. Big inspiration at the Guardian Changing Media Summit on the 18th and 19th of March in London. Find out more at theguardian.com forward slash changing media summit. You're still listening to a Media Talk TV special, our words to warm the heart. Now, we are looking forward, as promised, and in the third part, we're going to be looking right at the exact present tense, which is tough because I don't know when you're going to listen to this. But anyway, move on. Time is short. (laughs) Words are long. Uh, This might be a show, rarely, I know more about than you, uh, Rebecca, which is the Doll and M. Yes. A new sky living comedy starring, over to you. Well, uh, starring Emily Mortimer. And her childhood friend, Dolly Wells. That was really good. We did that. Almost like professionals. It's like Morecambe and Wise, isn't it? Or, or Dick and Dom. <laughs> Probably more realistic. I thought first episode, you know, a bit meh, but second episode really kicks off. And Jonathan Cake uh, was briefly, whilst I was watching it, certainly the funniest man on TV. Who knew he could be such a hilarious comic actor? I haven't got that far. But... Producer it- Matt says set it up, so I'm going to dive back in here. <laughs> so it's uh, they're kind of playing heightened versions of themselves, a bit like Kirby Enthusiasm, The Trip, and 26 million other TV series you've heard of, including Ant and Deck, who were piloting that idea for ITV. And Dick and Dom. And- <laughs> what? Um, anyway, so Emily is playing a big star actress in America, like what she is, and her childhood best friend, like what she is, uh, Doll comes over to join her after she breaks up from her boyfriend, and to, to kind of pay her way out in the States or whatever, she becomes uh, Emily Mortimer's PA. And uh, I met the aforementioned uh, Emily and Doll uh, in the hotel room. It was all about board, and this is what they had to say. I think it was a conversation that we had in, yeah. in our pitch meeting where cause we, we made these first 20 minutes just sort of guerrilla style with our friend Azazel, who, who's this mutual friend who's also Fantastic. happens to be a really brilliant, brilliant filmmaker. And he was really intrigued by the idea, our idea of making your best friend your personal assistant and immediately wanted to be involved with it somehow, but he didn't know. We wanted it to be a film and he, even though he's a filmmaker, felt like it, it was more suited to some sort of episodic form and he said, I think what we should do is we should just shoot something 
of you two kind of relating to each other in some way and then see what happens and see what we've got. So the first episode was 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 that was us just practicing and then it it ended up being an, an episode. He decided he watched it and he said, "I think this is a pilot and we should submit it to people." Look, it's okay. It's no big deal. I promise. No big deal. Susan Sarandon just shouted at me. Em. I know. I know. It was awful. But who cares, really? Should we just go home? Yes. Okay. I'll say goodbye and I'll meet you outside. Okay. Okay. Yes. At the risk of bringing up an issue, but is there an issue about I me? Mean, you created this and starred in this yourselves, but is there an issue, actors over here talk about the lack of kind of big roles for, for women in, in British TV, not necessarily American TV, but do you see that at all? Is there, is there we have I, lots of Scandinavian dramas with these strong women yes, in, in the lead roles, but yes. not necessarily reflected in the UK. I think in comedy, there are really good parts, for character parts for women, but then on the other hand, his point is saying that because I loved Smack the Pony or I loved French and Saunders or I loved whatever when I was much younger. So I think there's always been, I think in comedy, it's much easier because obviously, you know, the, the part of the romantic lead in a film or something, you've got a certain amount of time where you can play that part and you're, there's one beautiful girl and 12 men or whatever. So it's much easier in comedy and it's whether you're funny as opposed to what you look like. So there's just more of a chance. There's been a few questions sometimes where it feels irritating, but which yours definitely haven't, but where it feels like, wow, well done. It's incredible. Women, you sort of think, actually, I could just go on for hours. Well, how funny is Diane Keaton? How long has she been very funny? I think we've realised, the, the, the surprising thing for us is that we didn't set out to redress any sort of balance or be at all political in making this thing. We just set out to think Make two characters together. that we could write together and play and be together that would make sense for us and it ended yeah. up being something that, that felt you know, that we fun to and we, we enjoyed doing but what's happened in since in talking about it is that we've realised it still is kind of a, of course it still is a political issue um, and women in film and women on television and we passed the Gestalt yes, test yes we passed the be Betchel test is be it? Be Oh, it's so good. You've got to put this in because no one else is going to put this in. Right, so is this the first... Have I asked a question now? Is You've it, asked is the this question, the point yes. no one else Someone on Channel 4 News tried to pretend that he'd... Come up with the idea. We told him and he pretended he came up with it. out. Anyway, it spelt... Beckdale test. Yeah, the Beckdale test. And it was in a cartoon. Yeah, And it was about... And it was... This was the best moment, actually, we've had when I got told by... I got interviewed by The Velvet Onion, which is a magazine that's set up all about the Mighty Boosh and anybody related or in any way... And this American lady in New York said, so did you set out to pass the Bechdel test? Because you obviously have. And I was like, what is the Bechdel test? And it's when a scene in a movie or television show has just women in it, both who have names rather than sort of girl one or girl two, and they're talking about something other than a man. And of course, we, we didn't know what the test was. Or had even <laughs> We've never it. heard of the Bechdel But there was test. something really satisfying. And we didn't and set out to not talk about men no. either. Or but, to be... But, but what we did set out to do, which did feel quite brave because in some points you felt like oh god is this going to seem weird or are we going to get teased or but we did set out to make it a love affair and make about our, our friendship thing, our friendship and the not, central thing and not and to not have... to let the relationships with men suddenly become More sort of, oh how exciting she can sleep with him or, that that was not really what we were trying to say that we were trying to talk about girls friendships and it's really and the romance of yeah girls but the friendship. romance of friendship and the danger of a friendship and that be dumped by a friend is 
pretty mortal I mean the blow it's yes. pretty much impossible to get over because it's not because you're unsexy or your feet smell or you're not yeah, or that they're or, having an affair with someone yeah, else it's that, really that they that they've decided they don't like, like you anymore. anymore or they don't like something about you and that's pretty hard to recover from Rebecca I quite liked it but I've, I've seen two episodes I think it livens up in episode two so I'm a bit ahead of you there you are I've seen one but I also quite liked it it's very gentle but I thought some of the humour was quite mean and that's a nice mix it's a nice balance and I know we've seen a lot of these shows as you rightly point out but I do quite like it anyway it's the Curb Your Enthusiasm effect isn't it do you think that started it yeah I think so yeah I can't think of anything before that yeah no. well I mean you guess you can go back to Larry Sanders and Gary Shandling yeah, and all that's that kind true, of actually. stuff yeah. but uh, I think the star of the show for me certainly in episode 2 is Jonathan Cake who I vaguely remember from um, various Channel 4 dramas that I didn't really watch uh, back a long time ago but he's a very, very funny man. But that's enough, uh, Doll and M, and that's uh, frankly enough from me. Uh, let's get back to Norman and tell me about stuff I haven't seen, <laughs> Rebecca. Stuff you haven't seen. There's loads of good new stuff coming up, which is quite nice. It, we've had a bit of a post-Christmas lull when new stuff starts and finishes, and then you have a couple of weeks where it just feels like there's nothing great on. But the next couple of weeks, there's loads of good stuff coming up. So I'm going to start with True Detective, which is going to be on Sky Atlantic. It's a HBO show, and it stars proper big movie actors... Uh, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Ooh. Ooh. They play detectives over, I think it's about 20 years. So they're looking back on a case that they did when they were younger. It's sort of amazing. The The makeup is really great. They look very kind of old and haggard uh, in the, at the start of it. And then we go back 20 years and, and find out what happened in this kind of key case. It reminded me a bit of the shadow line in the sense that it's very, very stylized. The dialogue is really kind of writerly. Matthew McConaughey's character, Rust. <laughs> I mean, they're, all called, they're called stuff like... Uh, Rust and coal, I think. Right. So Rust is... Uh, Wooden. Yeah. In Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're both great. They're both right. Matthew McConaughey's having the like peak moment in his career. He's doing so much good stuff. But he plays a really misanthropic uh, detective whose daughter died when she was young and so he hates the world and he's an addict and it's all kind of really bleak. And this is all set in the 90s and then they're investigating this murder, which is a bit like a Hannibal murder. It's very kind of uh, ritualistic. And it's set in Louisiana. They have to go through the Deep South and and find all this stuff. And there's religion. And it's just, it's really cinematic, actually, and really ambitious. And I really like all of the wordiness and the style. I, I imagine it would be easy to take the piss out of it because it is so self-consciously, like, this is what we're doing. But if you're looking for a moody drama to fill the bridge gap, then you would be more than advised to take this on. It's really, it's just very, very good. And this is uh, Sky Atlantic? Sky Atlantic, yeah. And it feels like this could be entirely unfair, but it feels like it's been a little while since there's been a really big new HBO drama to get your teeth into. I feel like this is the one. I don't know how it's doing in the States, but um, it certainly feels like there's a lot of momentum behind it. And it's a good mystery as well. You get to unpick the mystery, so I'm really up for it. And next up? Next up, My Mad Fat Diary is back on E4 Series 2. I don't know if you saw the first series, John. I'm not sure you're the demographic entirely. I'm a little bit out. Yeah. Um, I think my daughter's going to be in the demographic closer than I... Well, no, I'm never going to get backwards, am I? So. <laughs> I don't think so. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> um, this is Ray Earl's diary. Ray Earl is um, from Lincolnshire, as am I. But she wrote it in the 80s, and what I like about this is that they've made it in 1996, which is when I was a teenager in Lincolnshire. So a lot of these Britpop references are very familiar to me. Like it's just for you. I was, in, I was living in Rochester <laughs> at that time, working on the Mayboy News. Did you have an Elastica t-shirt? Because I definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I did buy the album, though. It's a very good album. Is it? I never played it. Yeah, very good. 
it's that era so it's all very familiar and the first series she was um in a psychiatric hospital having had a breakdown and then she comes out and it sort of follows her teenage life really and it's one of those nice sweet dramas you really care about all the people in it and it's got just a little bit of bite and then everything sort of gets resolved towards the end of the first series so the second series starts with her in a really good place she's got friends she's got a boyfriend it's all kind of she feels quite happy and I did it for the first half an hour I thought you've sort of undone all of the drama in this what where's the misery where's the misery or where's the tension you need some sort of tension but actually it comes back towards the end and um I just love it's one of those things you feel really affectionately towards and I really really like it so uh, good second series hopefully okay well you mentioned there about where's the misery well I did kind of half jokingly but it does seem to me that you know we had the bridge which kind of left me moribund for at least a day you know Orange is the New Black wasn't exactly a big upbeat ending and um, uh, you know when I want a good time I I stick on uh, We Bought a Zoo you know but is there (laughs) Is there another way to get that feel-good factor? You know, because it, it strikes me, uh, you know, I've only got six episodes of Seinfeld left, uh, which is really going to be tough when yeah. that comes to an end. TV is not leaving me very upbeat. You know, is, is there a way out of this, Rebecca? You know, where do I, where do I get, where do I get the, the big lols? Funny you should you. ask so spontaneously, John. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> we, we the have, script was a bit long there, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we have a feature on the Guardian website today about palate cleansing TV. I'm literally this, slapping my thigh. This what a came out of a discussion that I had been having about when I was watching Breaking Bad. I found that I could do maybe two or three episodes in a row at a push three was really the maximum. And then I got so sad and distraught and tense that I had to watch something else um, which was usually Modern Family so we, we call, we've called this palate cleansing TV and Stuart Heritage has written a nice blog about how he watches Cake Boss after he's watched a couple of episodes of Game of Thrones because he just can't take it anymore you need something like that to just wash away all of the grit and the sort of, yeah the horribleness of it but mine is Modern Family cheers me up every time well, I'm intrigued to hear what other listeners uh, use to, to cleanse their palate. Well, yeah. me too. Uh, when Seinfeld's done, it's going to be Larry Sanders. going to go through the whole lot. So have you seen then, all of Seinfeld? Because I thought I'd seen all of Friends, given that I, I mean, I probably watch at least three episodes of Friends a week still, even now. But a miracle happened a few months ago where I had not seen this episode of Friends. And it was just, I didn't know whether to watch it or not and to undo the kind of, you know, I was so convinced I'd seen it all. And then Fresh Friends, it was brilliant. Well, there's a couple where the telly box has failed. Uh, you're right. But uh, I have tried to go from one to nine. And yeah. the ninth series, I think, is the funniest, mm. which I think I have a hunch. My secret. It marks me out as a madman because probably everyone <laughs> says, no, no, it was the third or the fourth. And Larry David wasn't even involved in the ninth. But I was in tears last night. And, and not because I've watched The Bridge, but because I was laughing. I need to watch Seinfeld. That's my secret TV shame that I've never seen it. Start with the ninth, way, way backwards. <laughs> the ninth yeah. is the best. It's they get younger. <laughs> And of course, coming back on Valentine's Day, the big one, House of Cards. So that's not as good as Orange is the New Black. And we will talk about that next week. Until then, Rebecca Nicholson, thank you very much. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you have any palate cleansers, tell me what they are on our blog at theguardian.com slash mediatalk. Or you can tweet me at the evercleansing at johnplunkett149. Normal service is resumed in the next episode. My name's John Plunkett, and the producer was Mr. Matt Hill. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag-and-drop tools, and 24-7 support. 
Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today. No credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.